Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. We are back again today and we thank you very much for joining us. Namaste, Namaskaram, Namaskar, hello, good evening, uh, bonjour, bon dia, buenos bon, dia, um, guten Abend. Um, Salaam Alaikum and Sasrikal to one and all, wherever you are in this world. Thank you so much. Uh, it is a great honor to have this podcast and have you listening in. And uh, I hope you all had a great day or will have a great day if it's morning wherever you are. And today we're going to talk about uh, Israel, the ancient history of Israel. We've all heard the ideologies, we've heard the modern news, but we don't know the history of this land and we are going to understand it. Um, so get your paper, get a pen. I'm going to try and talk as slow as possible because I do know I talk fast and we will take a look at her history. So uh, welcome to the chapter on Judaism and Jews. The word Judaism comes from Yehuda, okay? Yehuda, one of the tri- 12 tribes of Israel. That is the tribe of Judah or Yehuda. In English, it's called Judah. Later, the, it became the historical kingdom of Yehuda, Yehuda, and sometimes in Hebrew, this ancient kingdom was called Mamliket Yehuda. This region then became the province of Yehuda under the Syrian Empire and later the Chaldeans. The English term for this collective group of people originating from this region, it was Jews or Jewish. But this Jewish story actually starts in 1200 BCE. Um, A man called Abraham, who later on is considered a prophet, on Hebrew, Avraham was said to be born in the city of Ur, modern-day Iraq or Mesopotamia, around 1812-1813 BCE, according to some scholars. His father was Terah, um, said to be an idol worshipper. Terah was not only not originally from the Arabian desert, born around 1882 BCE. We have no real proof where Terah was born, but the Bible, that is the Old Testament, says he comes from the East. Now, in in the Bible, the Old Testament, Joshua 24.2, we read, Joshua said to all his people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. It is believed that he came from around the fertile lands that were thus the Indus Valley Civilization or modern-day North India, Pakistan and Afghanistan. So if you're sitting in, in Ur, that is Iraq or Mesopotamia, what is east for you? The, fir- the, the first place that you'll come to eastward is the Indus Valley Civilization. So Terha, the father of Abraham, comes from the Indus Valley Civilization. This is because people did not live in the middle of the desert. 
They, they needed water and food. So the bulk of the civilizations around the river basins and their fertile lands. The only river basin beyond the Euphrates River would have been the Indus the Saraswati and the Saraswati River Basin. Thus the land beyond the Euphrates River would most likely have meant the Indus Valley Civilization and beyond. Genesis 11 uh, verse 31 says Terah is asked of God to leave Ur and go onto the city of Haran in modern-day Turkey. Haran is an ancient city that lies on the banks of the tributaries of the river Euphrates, thus the Mesopotamian Valley. This is where the prophet Abraham, who later is known as Abraham, spent 75 years of his life, of his, of his first part of his life. While there are other researchers who say Haran is in modern-day Turkey. However, there lies a small town called Haran in, which, in what is known as the Indus Valley Basin, modern-day Srinagar, which would make sense. The Indus Valley Basin is very fertile a valley basin with several rivers such as the Saraswati, the Indus, the Jhelum and its tributaries that commence in the Himalayas and flow all the way down into the Arabian Sea. Thus the Indus Valley Basin is modern-day North India, Kashmir, Pakistan and Afghanistan. This is also where the Silk Route would have passed. You see, the regions where the rivers flowed were always fertile, hence a variety of crops and abundant agriculture. Agriculture means commerce, trade, caravans. Trade means wealth and power. The control of this region was up for grabs, hence there always existed a tug-of-war of sorts between empires, clans and tribes. Translation, violence. Even if the biblical city Haran is not located in this region, it is more than likely that, that Terah, the father of Abraham, would have come from around here. Over time, as the climate changed, the rivers dried up. The river Saraswati started drying up in parts around 4,000 years, that is 220 uh, 2200 BCE, and by 1900 BCE, it was gone. This, one, this is one very important event that no one talks about. This event would have been the real start of the Abrahamic religions, starting with Judaism. Abraham was more than likely a descendant of the Vedic civilization. The tribes and clans situated along the Indus and Saraswati River would have first started fighting with each other for control of this ever-dwindling farmland or slowly moved away. On the eastern plains, they moved inwards towards the Gangetic Plains and the Ganges River. On the western banks of the river basins, they would have moved towards the Mesopotamian River, bank, uh, river Basin, formed on the banks of the Euphrates and the Tigris. In India, we have come to believe that there existed Vedic communities who had to find green pastures after the Saraswati River dried up, some of whom would have migrated further up north to Central Asia, and hence we find countries that end with the suffix stan. It means peace in Sanskrit, the language of the Vedas. 
Hence you find Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, and Turkmenistan. These migrants would have immersed themselves in trade and commerce due to the region being fertile, which is exactly what they did. However, as the climate changed over the Indus Valley civilization, the climate and civilization would have changed everywhere. The Arabian Peninsula has been dry since approximately 6000 BCE, that's 8000 years. Hence, there would have been drying up of the rivers everywhere, including the Mesopotamian Plateau. Society and cultures, as we have come to know today, did not exist back then. They had warrior clans fighting to control the arid desert and the small oasis left behind in this vast and dry terrain. All of the above in order to control all those who passed by, to sell their wares and pottery to a few people who tagged along. This is where Abraham's father Terah would have migrated from the east, that is the Indus Valley Basin to the Mesopotamian Valley Basin. Abraham is called the first Hebrew. The word Hebrew means someone who crosses over or passes through. What did Abraham cross over? In the Bible, where the term is first used, it would have primarily referred to those who crossed rivers. He and his family crossed over from the eastern side of the Mesopotamian basin to the western side, like his ancestors who came before him. That is the region that is now Syria, Iraq, Israel. In the in this land we call Israel today, there are seven. There were seven nomadic tribes, big and small. A few of the big tribes were the Hiti, the Giragishi, Imori, Canaan, Perizzi, Hivi, and Yevishi. It was the Canaan tribe that would eventually take up the coastal plains and the land that came to be known as Canaan while the other tribes disappeared into history. There were other smaller tribes in this region too. Abraham and his family would have crossed over to Canaan to avoid fighting and to find fertile lands for agriculture, as well as to tend to their flocks. With him, there were probably members of his tribes, and other tribes are looking for work, a place to trade in easy uh, a place to trade in peace and carry on their commerce. Abraham is said to have taken over Canaan, where he died in Hebron. His tribes and fellow tribes, sorry, his tribe and fellow tribes would have all been looking for the same thing, a place to trade and carry on their commerce. The story floated that, that God told him to do so uh, and to go from Haran to Canaan Thus, he became the first Hebrew to believe in one God and not idols. Idols were, were wrong and they brought violence. Hence, Abraham is storied to be the father of religion and the concept of one God, the God of no idols. Heavens, I'm sorry, I don't agree with it, but it is the history. You know, I'm just uh, telling you the story of their history. In reality, he was crossing over from one side of the river basin to the other side to find peace and security for his tribe and family. He would have been looking to carry on his trading and commerce um, in his new land. How does this happen? 
How do you cross over mighty rivers with dialogue by building trust bonds with people? Thus he, he was called the first Hebrew, the man who crossed over the Mesopotamian river. Uh, how, however, there seems to be constant violence in this region, which means not much dialogue in, this, in spite of Abraham's legacy. By the time the descendants of Abraham came to be born, the populations of the Middle East and the Indus Valley River Basin would have forgotten the science, and that was the source of their existence. Disconnected from their source, their past, and their heritage, their knowledge, thus the violence would have continued under the new name of one God created by Abraham. But why Canaan? Why did he choose Canaan? Well, Canaan, or modern-day Israel, is a territory that is situated between the Mesopotamian River Basin and the Nile River Delta, two very fertile regions. Besides the fact that Israel is a land of the Mediterranean seafront, hence ships laden with goods can, produce, can carry their produce to Europe and Asia for commerce. The ships coming from other regions can offload their goods for locals to take inland to the tribes and clans of the Middle East, where there is no agriculture. Where there is no society but sand dunes and a spiral of clan warfare fanned out of ignorant personal vendettas. Those that control this land between the Nile River Delta and the Mesopotamian River Delta would have been rich from trade and commerce thus very powerful. In the ancient world, and even today, the concept of supernatural power or blind fate, as it's sometimes known, can turn dust to gold. It is used every day to camouflage the ugliest of scams in life. If you go to the market in Asia, Africa, you buy some bananas, the seller will try and sell you the ripest and the darkest bunch of bananas for the highest price. More often than not. Example, five dollars. Then you bargain and he says, Madame, don't worry, it comes straight from God. I guarantee you those bananas will sell for five dollars. This mentality has been in existence since eternity. Due to the climate change, the populations would have been constant in a constant migration from one region to the other region to find a suitable place to live near waterholes, oases, fertile river deltas, in order to consolidate the remaining green spaces left in the Middle East and the Sahara. The populations would have to fight tooth and nail. Once they colonized the land, they would subjugate the ignorant population by saying it is God who asked them to undertake this task. It was God who gave them the chosen land as they were the chosen people. So this chosen people is only he said, she said. Okay, everyone does that and has nothing to do with God. God did not say this. Man made God, not God. God did not make man, that's for sure. Sorry about that, but I just had to say it. So we'll continue. This story would have then been institutionalized with divine wrapping paper, while the tribal members would be indoctrinated to bow in submission to it. Over time, this institutionalized parable became religion, and laws were developed to maintain the status quo to suit the interests and agendas of those who controlled the land and lined their pockets. 
Thus, while the original outburst of violence was to control the small piece of land to ensure farming and agriculture, thereby ensuring a source of livelihood for tribal people, um, what evolved over the centuries would be a regional power group or city-state, all camouflaged by the ideology and guard to consolidate for what would have become and what we have come to know today as the establishment. Basically, we are essentially looking at it in Abraham's name and legacy, which was leased out by the locals, locals who ran their clans and vendettas, but used Abraham's name in, to gain traction. It, if Abraham was about dialogue and peace, there is not much of it in the Old Testament. To, bring, to briefly continue Abraham's story, his son Isaac was born around 1544 BCE. While the chrono chronology of dates are disputed by modern historians, we will use the official version for this chapter, and it depends on who you talk to and who you don't talk to, really. Um, so, basically, yes, um, that's what it is. Uh, I'm going to go back to Abraham's, um, sorry, I'm going to go back to Abraham's son. Uh, one of Abraham's great-grandsons, Joseph, son of Jacob, whose father was Isaac, son of the patriarch Abraham, is sold into slavery by the Egyptians, sold into slavery to the Egyptians by his brothers around 1546 BCE. In 1522 BCE, Jacob and his clan moved to Egypt to, due to famine and finally reconnected with Joseph. By the 1400s, uh, the Israelites were then enslaved by the Egyptians. Moses was born in 1300 BCE, and between 1300 BC and 1200 BC, Moses delivers the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, which is known as the Exodus, um, the most important part in all of Judaic history. It is in the Sinai Desert that Moses gives the Ten Commandments to the Hebrew people, thereby laying the foundation for what we have come to know as the Jewish re religion. Around 1270 BCE, the Promised Land was reconquered by the Hebrew people. The Biblical judges lead the people until around 1025 BCE. King Saul becomes the first king uh, in 1025 to 1010 BCE. David, David, a shepherd boy, was born around 1000 BCE and is known for killing the giant Goliath. He befriends the King Saul's son, Jonathan. And when King Saul and his son are killed in battle, David becomes the king of Israel, somewhere around 10, uh, 10 to 970 BCE. And the house of David is born. If you've heard about King David, this is who he is. He is the greatest king of the kingdom of Israel. He unites all the tribes and becomes the king of Israel. It is King David who commissions the first temple, but has to tax the Jews, the Hebrews, Hebrew people, paying, uh, forcing them to pay for it heavily. 
It is his son who, beca who became king in 970 to 931 BCE, who built the temple, the first Jewish temple, uh, back then known as the Hebrew temple. Um, it's also known as Solomon's temple, or Beit Hamkidash. Ham uh, sorry if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. So it was not David, King David, who builds the temple. He collects the money and Solomon is the one who builds it. That's his son. The temple houses the Ark of the Covenant, a holy relic that houses the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses. King Solomon is known for his knowledge and wisdom, but not appreciated for his heavy taxes imposed on public. He dies and there is a pa-revolt, P-A where the northern tribes of the kingdom of Israel and the southern tribes formed the kingdom of Judea around 920 BCE. Now this is the most important part in all of it. Remember this, it is going to form the one important source of history. The fault line of history that we see today is formed by this one uh, act, this one date. So. When King Solomon dies, his knowledge and wisdom are not appreciated for his heavy taxes imposed on public. He dies and there is a, a revolt between the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. They break up into two states. So the kingdom of Israel comes to a close and it breaks up into two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea around 920 BCE. Now, one very important thing to remember at this fault line of history, write it down, stick it somewhere, and we will come back to this very, very often. You see, when the kingdom of Israel came to an end, the most important place in Israel was the Temple Mount, built by King Solomon. It was, the Temple Mount was like... Um, the Pentagon, the White House, the, 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 the headquarters of the, the CBI, the FBI, the banks, the, 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 the Bank of Canada, the, the Bank of America, uh, Scotland Yard, the CBI, the RBI, the capital of New York, uh, the Paris, all into one. This was the most important place in that region. The money was there, the gold was there, everything was there. So you have the two kingdoms now from the one kingdom, it's instead of Israel, you have northern Israel and the smaller part which is southern Israel uh, and the southern part is called Yehud. And the Temple Mount that's in Jerusalem goes into Yehud. That means the southern part. Can you imagine? You have one kingdom, everything is all the eggs are in one basket. And when the eggs are in one basket and the basket goes to the southern states, what are you going to do? It's not going to be a pretty picture. So they are going to try and get it back and there's going to be fighting galore. Does this sound very similar to you? Yes, it does. That's exactly what happened to India and Pakistan. Everything went into India, very little went into Pakistan, and we've been fighting ever since. The labels have changed, but the mentality has not. This situation remained as is, um, I mean, two kingdoms, until the Assyrian Empire conquered the tiny kingdom uh, of northern Israel under Emperor Tigalat Pileser III around 722 BCE.
Under his successor, Shamal Mansa V in 722 um, BCE, the kingdom was completely annihilated from the map. So, um, yeah, so in 722, uh, northern Israel was northern Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and was destroyed. Okay, the ten tribes of Israel from the north all went into slavery into other parts of the empire and merged and in, in, integrated into Assyrian customs. And from there, some tribes moved away to what is now a region that forms the northern provinces of Afghanistan and Pakistan. The region of the Khyber Pass and what is considered northwest frontier provinces of Khyber Pakhtunwa in Pakistan and other regions in Afghanistan. Some tribes went far away to what is now considered the eastern Indian states of Mizoram and Manipur. So you understand very well that um, all these uh, these people in, in Afghanistan, northern Pakistan, or Pakistan, a lot of them are ancient Jews. They still carry names that are very, very similar to the ancient Jewish tribes. They have Jewish customs, but they're all Muslim, and it is very easily taken it into Islam. And you will see that Islam is an offshoot of the Jews, so it's exactly the same. And that's why Afghanistan is actually named of the son of the, uh, a descendant of King Saul, who was the first descendant, first king of Israel. So Afghanistan are actually Jews. Uh, the Babylonians would capture Jerusalem in 597 BCE. The kingdom of Judah continued in the south to exist as a vassal kingdom under the Babylonian rule, with King Zedekiah installed as a puppet king. But Zedekiah eventually rebelled against Babylon and was removed. So Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city in 586 BCE. He installed a governor called Gedaliah, and thus the southern kingdom of Judah was completely under the Babylonian occupation, and the temple of Jerusalem, as well as the city, was destroyed. Thus the Israelite diaspora is now spread all over Europe, Asia, and Africa. It is important to note that at this point, that all dates are approximate. There's no real fixed date they can give you, and... It all depends on who you talk to. So in 539, between 539 and 538 BCE, the Neo-Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian king Cyrus the Great. At the Battle of Opis, Cyrus released all the Jews from captivity and allowed them to return to Jerusalem, as well as rebuild the temple. He even allowed all the vessels of gold and silver stolen by Nebuchadnezzar to be returned to the Jews. The kingdom of Judah became the province of Yehud or Yehud Medinita, the Aramaic word for the state of Judah. Under the second temple, under thus the second temple was built, starting around 516 BCE, and remained until 70 CE. Around 333 BCE, approximately, the Macedonian Greeks under Alexander the Great conquered the Mediterranean provinces of the Persian Empire. 
The Torah is translated into Greek. Under the Greek occupation, the Israelites were divided into traditional Orthodox and Hellenistic groups. Thereby, they institutionalized a prior divide between the Israelite kingdoms of, the, of Israel and people of Judah. In 16, in in approximately 167 BCE, the Maccabean revolt began against the Greeks. Two decades later, the Hasmonean dynasty became the ruling dynasty over Judah, and eventually the neighboring regions of Samaria, Galilee, Ituria, Perea, Idumea, um, from, 14, from 143 BCE to 63 BCE. So this is the Hasamon dynasty which ruled over this land. The Israelites gained control of the temple of Jerusalem during this period and purify it. Because the Hasamonian dynasty is of Jewish, of Hebrew descent. In 63 BCE, the Romans invaded Israel. 37 BCE, King Herod... Um, begins, or Governor Herod, begins his rule and renovates the temple, besides expanding its size. In 67 CE, Jews begin their revolt against the Romans, and 70 CE, the temple, the second temple, is destroyed for the, the again, um, and kill up to a million Jews in what is called the first holocaust. So the second temple now is now come to, coming to an end. It is burned to the ground by the Romans. The second revolt in 132 CE against the Romans known as Bar Kokhba revolt results in the Jews being banned from the region uh, of Israel by 135 AD. This was the end of the biblical kingdom of Israel until 1948, when the State of Israel was founded again. Due to all these events, around 200 CE, a Mishnah is compiled, consisting of all the teachings of the rabbis, sayings and interpretations. Oral traditions were codified into laws, hence the Mishnah is also known as the Torah. Later, around 500 CE, we have the Gemara, that was in what was written down. The Gemara means to study. It consists of analysis and commentary on the Mishnah. Together, the Mishnah and Gemara for what is to, together the Mishnah and the Gemara is known as the Talmud. All in all, when one calls up Hebrew scriptures, you will often hear the word Torah. The Torah starts with the word bet, B-E-T, meaning house or gathering place or a temple as in a place to gather. It ends with the word lamed. It comes from the root word lamad. Lamad means to teach. It is the 12th teach letter in the Hebrew alphabet and the tallest letter. Um, in Phoenician, lamad Hebrew, Lamed, Aramaic, Lamad, Syriac, Lamad, Arabic, Lam. Today in the modern world, the alphabet is stuck on cars and student drivers to signify as an ancient time a student. The Phoenician letter gave rise to the Greek, Lam Lambda, 
Latin L and Cyrillic L, E L. And from there we get the word L, or L for London. It comes from this letter Lamad, which is Hebrew. Okay? Uh, and so when you, you write the letter L, remember this is this finds its root in Hebrew or Phoenician, uh, which predates Hebrew. Um, it passes through Aramaic, Syriac, Arabic, uh, Greek, Latin, and Cyrillic. And uh, this is what ends the Torah, which is the Hebrew, what is also known as the Hebrew Bible. The spelling of Lamed is also believed to be an acronym for the phrase Lev Mivin, that meaning a heart that understands knowledge. Thus, we see that learning and knowledge is one of the greatest significance of a Hebrew heart, all of which is supposed to bring peace to souls and to mankind. Peace we be with you in Hebrew is Shalom Alekem. Um, shalom means peace, Alekem means upon you. Peace be with you in Aramaic is Slama Luk. So, similar changes a little bit. The basic Judaic knowledge or Hebrew knowledge is expressed in Genesis. The chapter Genesis um, was uh, chapter 5 verse 2. Male and female he created them and blessed them and called their name Adam or Adam in English on the day when they were created. Here Adam is not a male. So we often say Adam and Eve and say Adam is the male and Eve is the is the female. That is wrong. Adam is not the name of a male, but in Hebrew, Adam means species or means human or the species of the human being. Literally, it means the male is a symbol for one or the soul who remembers, who is pure or like glass, internal self metaphysical or like metaphysical energy so basically when he says god created adam and the creator created adam he was the first man that's wrong he he's can he talks about adam not as a man but as a male which in hebrew term means human or human uh the species of human and it symbolizes one who the species of human so the species of man uh, of the human being, because there are many species on this earth, and who is pure, um, internal, he, who is pure, like glass, you can see through. Uh, in other words, he's talk it's talking about metaphysical energy, because metaphys metaphysical energy is energy, you cannot see it, you cannot touch it, it's true and true, it's a frequency, so we are frequencies, and basically Adam means he's talking about the frequency, but they have converted it into man and woman. The female meant the outer body or the physical mass. So you have physical and you have metaphysical. So Adam was a metaphysical female. Eve was the physical mass. Hence, male and female did not just mean human species, but in a larger sense, the concept where the physical body is a photosynthesis of the metaphysical. This is the foundation of life. On the other hand, without the metaphysical soul, the physical body is redundant. One needs the duality of the two components to form a human species of life. So you see, it is 
somewhat in 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 Genesis, but it's so badly translated that it is an absolute mess. The Jewish Bible or the Hebrew Bible is known as the Tanakh. Okay, um, the Tanakh is the synonym for Torah or Pentateuch. Um, it starts with the to- sorry. Tanakh is a synonym, so Tanakh, uh, T-A-N-A-K-H. So the T-A is Torah, um, N-A is for Nevim or the Prophets, Book on the Prophets, and the K is the Kuturim or the Scriptures or the Writings. So all these writings together of the Torah, the Nevim and the Kuturim, uh, from the Torah, from the Tanakh, um, the Torah is normally seen as the laws or instructions from Moses. Okay, the first five books of Moses and a direct revelation of God in His own words, together with the laws of the prophets, the Kitvim, also known as the writings. Uh, they form this con- Tanakh. Divinely inspired, but with one less level of authority of the laws of Moses and the prophets. So the Torah is the most important book of, of the Hebrews because it consists, of, it consists of the laws of Moses given to them in the desert of the Sinai when they fled as, uh, as slaves from Egypt. That is the most, uh, has most authority. And then you have the, the, the books or the prophets and the books on and scriptures and writing, which is also known as the Kitabim. Now take a look at the Old Testament. It talks about how God told the tribes of Abraham to fight against neighboring tribes and take their land, and on and on it goes. Even if you want to make it up, it would not work. Now you take two steps back and ask yourself, for a religion based on the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shall not kill, what in the world were the lunatics thinking? For the love of God, they wrote the Ten Commandments and they are the ones doing all the killing. To make matters worse, if you ask a theologian today, why the violence, the only answer you would perhaps get is, well, in those days, that's how things worked. Your jaw drops to below sea level. The only thing going on in your mind is at that point, on what grounds are they giving us moral lectures with the Ten Commandments? Did they ever hear or the talk, the, the concept, walk the talk? When you are little, you don't understand. You just swallow what the theologians and elders give you and move on. Forty years on, I am livid that I did not stand up to this ignorance fast enough. Here are some of the violence of the Old Testament. Uh, numbers, uh, chapter on Numbers 25. Chapter on Elijah, Kings 1, 18, chapter 18, verses 39 to 40. Um, Elisha, chapter on, in Elisha, uh, you have chapter on the Judges, chapter on uh, Numbers again, uh, 21. You have the Judges again, chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. Samuel, chapter 15, ex- Exodus, Joshua, uh, Genesis. The list goes on and on. If you've already tired, imagine what exactly our human psychic is going through right now. For everything we do is registered in our DNA and transferred from one generation to the other. 
Our psychic is an electromagnetic field which is 4.6 billion years old. Can you imagine how much we've accumulated over time? Yet our beloved religions and cultural establishments have all the intention of keeping us in ignorance. They insist that these currents that form our waves are not important, thereby leaving the way to manipulate us. At the end of the day, the story does not change. The people of this region have been lost since the Ice Age. Massive floods that ensure the climate change would have destroyed many of the brethren. This is a two disconnect which led to ignorance and thereby translated to violence. The violence disintegrated the people in the groups, clans and regional city-states, which eventually form empires and power units. They converted their stories into traditions, then into institutions to camouflage their agenda. Today we have religions. All religions, therefore, start out of a culture in one era. The culture becomes religion, the religion dissolves, and it will become culture again. The cycle comes down the full circle. So while Jewish history is interesting as usual, it's a product of its time. A time when knowledge of the science was dwindling and held only by a few people. As usual with all history, and especially religious history, certain stories have been distorted to suit the interests of the ruling class. As civilization was nearing ignorance, these stories could have now become traditions and have been repeated by the society for thousands of years. But there are some gaping holes in their story. Like every civilization, um, what is culture in one era will become religion in another. What is religion in one era will become culture in another. In the end, it's about money and power. So coming back to the Hebrew history, um, the most important man in this ancient history is Moses. He was born as an Israelite to an Israelite slave in Egypt. The Pharaoh at that time ordered all newborn Hebrew boys to be killed as he was worried about the Hebrew population explosion. Moses' Hebrew and Hebrew, Moses' Hebrew mother wrapped the child in swaddling clothes, put him in a basket and sent him on, a, on the Nile. He was founded by the Pharaoh's daughter and grew up as a member of royalty. After killing of the Egyptian slave who was abusing a Jewish slave, Moses fled across the Red Sea to Midian. He encounters God who asks him to go back and free the Israelite slaves. After countless plagues, he, led, he leads the Israelite people through the Sinai Desert and onto the Promised Land. Moses, however, dies before he reaches the land known as Israel and Mount Nebo. Moses, also known as a prophet Moses, is a major figure in the Torah, spanning the book of Exodus to the book of Deuteronomy. Hence, these chapters are also known as the five books of Moses. Moses is known for one very important concept in Judaism, besides giving the Jews their liberation from Egyptian bondage. Called the Exodus, it is a story that is central to the Hebrew history. An exodus that takes place in the Sinai Desert, where the Israelites are fleeing slavery of Egypt. It is where the Torah, or the five books of Moses, as well as the Ark of the Covenant, was given to the Israelite people. The 613 
uh, mitzvot or laws of God were given to Moses also come out of the desert. Um, the Ark of the Covenant mentioned in the book of Exodus um, uh, comes from this region. It is a rectangular box where the Holy Torah scrolls are stored. This was said to have been made by the Jewish people in the Sinai Desert after they were freed from slavery. The dimensions of the Ark were given by Moses, who is said to have received it straight from God. Exodus chapter 25 verses 10 and 20 and 29 I think um, also gives a list of inventory items when the Jewish people reached the Holy Land and set up home for the Jews God also gave Moses details for the construction of the tabernacle Exodus chapter 25 a tabernacle is known as Mishkan in Hebrew it comes from the Hebrew root word to dwell Thus, it was a place where God dwelt. Very importantly, where the divine and the earthly worlds met. Now, do you believe that God actually gives people dimensions of arcs and a list of gold and silver items to fill the ark? God is just a parable to explain the science of the Creator. The Creator is the sun that produces our electromagnetic currents and waves. Um, are metaphysical. God is not does not talk. So what is behind the exodus from Egypt? The concept of the word given, uh, the concept of word given for Egypt in the Bible is Mitzrayim. The Egyptians themselves called their land Kemi, meaning black land. So when the Torah talks about Egypt, it's not talking of the geographical land of Egypt. Uh, Mitzrayim, the second part of the word, ayim, means doubles or multiples. The middle root is zar, T-Z-A-R, meaning narrow or a form. So technically, something that tries to narrow you down to a form or enslave you in a group, ideology or influence to control your mind. When you attach yourself to a particular form, you become a slave to the label. To the form of the ideology. Our form is temporary and the stories that are born out of it should not anchor us down as slaves but as are meant to be le a lesson to learn. Um, constantly adjust and move around us. Thus the exodus from Egypt was a way out of the attachment of this material form, label and ideology. From that liberation, we will be able to do our duty to ourselves, liberate ourselves from being anchored down to religions, groups, and kingdoms. And in Genesis 13.1, it is said very clearly, And Abraham, that is Abraham, went out of Mitzrayim with his wife and all that he had with Lot with him into the south. So that, my friends, is the first part of the history of, of um uh, Judaism as we it's come to know now and Hebrew history so this is only one we have one two three four more chapters to go which we'll do tomorrow and the after tomorrow I hope you had a great time you took down a lot of notes and we will continue this tomorrow 
Thank you so very much for for talk for listening to me. Talk to your friends. Talk to any five friends. Ask them to talk to five friends, and on and on, so that we can discuss this history. We can discuss this knowledge. We can discuss. Uh, you can discuss it, and you can heal because the more knowledge you have, the more dialogue you have, the more you heal, the more you can reconcile with events of the past. You can do the research yourself. I ask you to do your own research. Do not depend on anyone else. And we will go from there, and slowly we can reconcile and heal, and the peace on the inside will go to the peace on the outside. Thank you so much for your time. You have yourself a great evening.